Welcome to a new Sunday here at Vertical. No car in the lobby today. Our Driven series has come to an end last week. We began something fresh today. I want to tell you a story first. This past summer, our family had the opportunity of going on a, a trip together. We were able to kind of get in a carpool convoy and take off. We went to see Heather's grandparents in Alabama and eventually made our way down to Florida. And uh, Taylor had done a lot of uh, work ahead of time in trying to find not just hotel rooms, but a house that we could rent for a couple of days and stay in. And of course, there was a lot of uh, planning and preparation to that because we had to get all the room arrangements just right to fit each of the family groups that was going on the trip. So she looked and looked and weeks went by, months went by trying to find the perfect house. And she said, okay, dad, I think I've got it. I said, great. So we made our way down there. Heather and I were last in the convoy. I don't know if that says something about my slow driving, everybody else is fast driving, but we're last to get there. Everyone else has arrived at the house already. We're getting texts. We're saying, this is amazing. It's wonderful. We can't wait for you to get here. So finally we get there and they meet us at the front door and they close the door because they want to take us on just a room by room tour of this house. Like, okay, let's do this. This is going to be awesome. So sure enough, they open the front door and it's like, you know, it's amazing. Like, wow, this is, this is really amazing. They said, no, Dad, wait till you see this. So, it was, you know, it's down the hall and open the next, you know, one of the bedroom doors. Wow, that is really cool. No, no, wait, watch this. Open the door. Wow, that's amazing, too. And just room after room. I mean, I'd seen pictures online, but there's, it's not the same. I mean, you can see pictures of the Grand Canyon online, but it's not the same as standing at the Grand Canyon looking at it, right? So, and I know this is not the same as the Grand Canyon, but <laughs> bear with me. So, we're going through this house. And I'm seeing the images that are real now in front of me as opposed to just pictures on the internet. And sure enough, I mean, every room is just beautiful. It's glorious. I said, Dad, no, wait. Come upstairs. This is the room that you and Mom are going to have. Okay, that's great. Let's go see. So, you know, they've got the doors closed there. And they open the doors and it's... It really is. It's pretty amazing, really. This room that we're in, it's overlooking this little inlet or bay area. It's really, really cool. They took us on this tour, and every door that opened, there was a new experience. When we walk through life with Christ, his goal is to keep opening doors and showing us more of his glory, more of his grace that's been poured out, more of his wisdom, more of his truth, more of his righteousness, and he intends to walk us through this process to take us and to open the door and say, look, look at what I have for you. Look at what I've done for you. And it's a journey. It's a process. He takes us by the hand and he walks us room by room. The Bible says that we grow from faith to faith. We come to Christ and we are born again, but we begin this journey of walking with him. And when you enter a room, you realize the things that are in this room are different than they were in that room. If you're going from the garage into the laundry room, for example, there's different lighting, there's different space, there are different things in the space, different floor surface, everything is different. And to get from the garage to the laundry room, you have to go through the door, right? If you want to go from the dining room into the kitchen, if you want to go back in there and make you some dessert, if you want to go back in and get something good to eat, you have to leave where you were, the dining room, and go into the kitchen, right? Are you with me? 
You've got to leave the room you're in if you want to get to the next room. And the way you move from one room to the next is by going through a door. The doorway is the transition. It's where everything changes. It's where you're no longer where you were and you all of a sudden are where you haven't been before. You're in the next room. We have these doorways in our life. We, we age and we hit different times in life. You hit your teens, your 20s, your 30s. We'll stop there. You go into all of these and each of them gets just, it's just a little bit different. The things in your 20s are not like they were when you're in your teens, right? And you're kind of glad for that, right? You move through these. There are accomplishments that you achieve in life that move you from where you were to new places. You graduate from high school. You graduate from college. You get a promotion at your job. You move into a new place. You are no longer where you were. You moved into a new room where there's new responsibilities. There's new privileges, there's new joys. There are new challenges. We even have blessings that come into our life that God gives us that move us from where we were to where we now are. And he intends to continue to move us. He shows us some new insight in Scripture, and we trust him in a way we haven't before. We comprehend some measure of his love for us that we hadn't before. And all of a sudden, you move from where you were into a new place. You, you step into a new room of grace and wisdom and truth. And you experience more of Christ there. And it's not the end of the journey. There's so much more. In fact, you'll spend the rest of this life moving from room to room. And in eternity... You'll continue moving from room to room to more of the glories that are in Jesus Christ. Sometimes the doorways and the rooms are not always what we thought they were going to be. They sometimes can be sad, difficult, challenging, painful. Sometimes those new rooms are filled with sorrow. We lose a loved one. We lose a job, experience a tragedy, experience disappointments, difficulties. And it's a new room. It's a new place. God foresaw it before we ever got there. God planned for the moment before we ever got into the room. And he intends for us to not stay in that room. He intends for us to move through it, walk with him into it, trust him while we're in it, and trust him to lead us out. Doorways. It's important that we know how to move through a doorway. It seems like a simple thing to move through a doorway, and maybe here in the physical realm it is. I simply take some steps in the direction I want to go, and I just move right on through. But in the realm of faith, in the realm of following Jesus Christ, sometimes walking through a doorway is more difficult. 
It's the same process. You're still taking steps. You still have a vision. I want to go there. I know I'm here. I want to get out of this room. I want to go into that room. But God has a purpose for every room. I want to show you a verse that we're going to use as our launch pad today. We're going to see what it has to say to us. We're going to move forward from it. It's simply a starting place for us in our message today called Doors of Thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says this. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes we get caught up in God's will being the, the process or these goals along the way, these steps, and that's part of the whole thing. But really what the Bible spells out here is something at a deeper level, a level in the, in the, the area of trust that God has for us. And he says, in everything, the good things, the blessings, the promotions, the graduations, the accomplishments, the difficulties, the trials, the setbacks, the challenges, the loss, the disappointment. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is how you move forward. This is how you experience all that he has for you. This is how you walk through the door, you give thanks. You move from grace to grace, from faith to faith, to point in your life, to the next point in your life, to the place of maturity, to the place of strength, to the place of weakness, to the place of trust, and you do so by continuing to walk in thanks. In everything, give thanks. The sad thing is, every one of us is going to be able to relate to what I'm about to say. Sometimes we enter a room and it's difficult, it's painful, and it's, it's challenging to give thanks for what's happened in that room. Everybody identify with that? An event happens. Unexpected phone call comes, disappointment, conflict, it happens. Maybe you had something to do with it, maybe you didn't, but it came nonetheless. And what God wants us to learn in those moments in that room is to trust him, to learn from him. And even be able to say, thank you, God, for being with me in this room. Thank you for what you're teaching me in this room. Thank you for what has happened in this room. If you, until you come to that spot, you know what can happen to us? We can get stuck in a room. You were moving along for a while. You were trusting God. You were strong. You were depending upon him. You were praising him. You were really seeking him. And all of a sudden, you got in this one room, and 
It was dark, and it was difficult, and it was painful, and it wasn't what you thought, and you don't know what's supposed to happen here, and you wonder where God is, and he hasn't left you, but you just can't see him in the moment, and all of a sudden, you start to get bitter. You start to become resentful. You begin to become filled with anger, and you're in this room, and you don't even see the door anymore. Your faith has gone flat. You stop seeking him. You don't feel like even trusting him. The last thing you want to do is praise him. And you find yourself in this room and you are literally stuck. You can't find your way out. Anybody ever been in a room like that? We can all relate. We know what it's like to be in places like that where we get stuck. Where it's difficult to move forward. Today we're going to see the story in scripture of a man who found his way out of the room. God called him out of the room and he responded and he walked out. He was no longer stuck. Turn your Bibles to Luke 17, where we are today. You can follow me on screen. You can follow in your Bible app. You can follow in your page-filled Bible if you still have one. That's awesome if you do. Luke 17 is where we are. It says there in verse 11, it says, Now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. You see, Jesus is on a path. God had a path for him. It had a series of doors to it that he had to walk through. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem when he knows exactly what awaits him in Jerusalem. Oh, initially it's a party and fanfare, but it'll turn out to be crucifixion and death. It's the path that God has for him. It's not so pleasant in the earthly end, but oh, what happens after that? But Jesus is walking on this path, and it takes him through, it says, the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Bible scholars debate this, and I'm not going to today. Some say, oh, that means he went through the middle of Samaria Samaria and Galilee, through the between them. And others say, no, he went through the middle of Samaria and Galilee. It's like, what does it matter? He went through, okay? Enough about that. It says in the next verse, it says, Then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Now, thankfully, leprosy is not a disease that we are familiar with here in America in this generation. Amen? If you know much about leprosy, you would be very grateful today that it is not something that we have to experience. You see, the Old Testament, the law, gave instructions about what to do for people who thought they had leprosy and who were found to have leprosy. In fact, if you had leprosy, you were removed from your family. You were removed from your friends. You were removed from your social group and you were isolated. You were forced to live in colonies with other leprous people who had the same disease. It was so infectious and so devastating and ultimately deadly that the minute someone was found to have leprosy, they were removed. They could no longer touch a family member, no longer feel the warmth of an embrace, the touch of a hand, The hug of a child, the embrace of a spouse. It was a death sentence upon your life to have leprosy. 
The disease attacks the nervous system, skin, and ultimately internal organs. It usually started with a patch of skin that was white and maybe pink, and it began to spread. It would move to other parts of the body. The patches would change from something that was just a a fair place on your skin to something that looked like a tumorous growth. And sorry for being graphic this morning, but I have to to help you understand how devastating leprosy was. These tumorous, spongy-like growths began to form on the skin and usually found their way to the extremities, fingers, toes, and face. Because it affected the extremities in the way that it did, they usually lost feeling in their toes and feet and fingers and hands, which alone begins to be an issue. If someone were to be asleep at night and their hand was lying out and a a rat came over and began to chew on their fingers, they would never feel what was happening. And so there would be devastation. If they were cooking in the kitchen or in a, a space and their hand got too close to the fire, they would not feel what was happening because they would have lost the ability to feel and they could have burned their hand and not even known it was happening unless they had seen it. They could step on something devastating to their physical health and would not have known it. The disease would also cause these extremities to be withered, to be deformed, and to lose them as well. So it was not uncommon to see someone with leprosy to not even have fingers or toes, but to have a stump in the place of where there was a hand or a foot. It would also begin to affect the internal organs. Blood supply would be cut off and bone marrow would be affected. It would begin to affect the face in such a way that eyes would become deep set, their brows would swell, eyebrows and eyelashes would drop out, and they would begin to lose their eyesight, begin to lose their teeth, and even their voice would begin to be very raspy. They would find it difficult to talk. So you can imagine seeing a loved one go through this withering, debilitating disease. I've just described the outward effect upon it, but you have to know there's also internal pain and suffering that went to the one who had it. You can't imagine the emotional turmoil, the physical pain that would take place if you had leprosy. And to make matters worse, these open sores smelled bad. So when the Bible says Jesus entered a village and there were 10 men who were lepers. We don't know how far along they had progressed, but we do know they stood afar off. They traveled together, and when anyone saw them and you knew they were the leprous men, you ran. You did not want this disease. Can you imagine the impact of knowing wherever you went, people shrieked? People ran from you. People pointed at you. People whispered about you. And you were cast off. Ten men have leprosy. And they stand afar off. I have to imagine that as well they were thinking, 
we're not just physically separated from family. We're not just physically separated from this man, Jesus. But it feels as though we stand afar off from God's love, blessing, and favor. How can I be going through this? And the man with the answers is right there. Why is this happening to me? They must have felt afar off in their own heart and faith. The Bible says that they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I don't imagine their voices being strong because of the disease. I imagine it being raspy and it's weak and they're calling out and it's guttural, it's weak, it's frail, but they're crying out from their pain. They know there's nothing that they can do to fix their situation. They know there's nothing that can be done from anyone else's perspective. The doctors have tried, and there's no help for them. And so they just cry out for the only thing that they know to ask for, and that's mercy. They sure haven't done anything to earn being healed. They don't deserve to be healed no one has ever shown them really that kind of favor or trust. So they just cry out for mercy. The passage goes on and it says, So when he, Jesus, saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. It's interesting. There's no big fanfare you know, there's no lightning, there's no anything else happening except Jesus hears their cry for mercy, and he says, go show yourself to the priest. You see, that's what was required in the law. If you were healed, or if you thought you were getting better, you had to go see the priest because he was the guy. He was the only one who could say, you are cleansed. You may return back to life with your family. He was the one that declared you unclean, and he was the one that could declare you clean. And so Jesus speaks to them. It's interesting the word that he used here. They were cleansed, cleansed. This disease had affected them. And when Jesus speaks to them, he says, go show yourself to the priest. And it says that they did. They immediately turned and began walking toward the temple. They began walking to go see the priest. They began walking in obedience to the thing that Jesus has said, and as they go, they are cleansed. It, the order is important there, really, it is. It doesn't say they were cleansed and so they went. It says so they went and they were cleansed. The order is important. It's an order that works in God's kingdom. It's an order he uses. He speaks. He calls us to obey. We take a step of faith, and it comes to pass. That's the way it works. He speaks. You hear. You obey, and it happens. He speaks. You hear. You believe. You obey, and it happens. It's a pattern that God uses. They turn and believe and they walk and they realize, wait a minute, 
something's happening here. And the further they walk, the more cleansing they recognize. It's, it's healing, and, and the sores are beginning to diminish. And, and the things that hurt, they're not hurting anymore. In fact, feeling is beginning to return. I can feel the breeze now on my face where I couldn't before. And where the images look so distorted, now I, I can actually see Everything is changing for these men because Jesus has spoken, they believed, and they walked in it. He spoke, they believed, and they walked in it. I hope you write that down. He spoke, they believed, and then they walked in it, and it came to pass. They begin the journey, and they are cleansed. Ten men all at the same time, experience complete life change. Everything's different. And they're now, where they had been thinking about how horrible their future was, now they're thinking about some possibilities. I think I'm going to get to see my wife again. I'm going to get to hold my child. I'm going to get to be with my family again. I'll get to live in my house I'll get to return and have work to do. I'll get to enjoy the life God had given to me. And things they thought would never come to pass, they were beginning to think about again. Jesus was changing their life, and it happened for all ten of them. All ten men cleansed, making their way back to the temple to see the priest. They're obeying the law what Jesus told them to do. Now, this is where the story changes. This is the part where the story for these 10 men is altered. Look what the Bible says next. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Ten men, every one of them cleansed, on their way to the temple. One of the ten recognizes what's happening. And he has a different response than the other nine. He's about to do something that goes against the flow. He's about to walk in a way contrary to the crowd. It says that he turned and he goes back to Jesus. He's breaking from the crowd and he's coming back and it says, and with a loud voice, he's glorifying God. He probably hadn't had a loud voice in a while. He hadn't been able to shout praise. He hasn't been able to say, I love you with strength in his voice, but he's returning now. He's going back to the one who has changed his life. Nine are walking this way, and one chooses to go back. One goes in the opposite direction. One has a different heart response. They all have the same thing happen to them, but one, just one of the ten, chooses to go back. Something about this event is different for him. Something about what has happened here means something different to him. Nine men keep walking, and one says, wait a minute. I can't keep going that way. I've got to go back to the one who just healed me. 
I've got to do something. I've got to say something. God has just radically changed my life, and I've got to go back. And he goes back, and he's glorifying God. He's spilling out what's happened in his heart. It goes on, and it says that this man fell down on his face at his feet, the feet of Jesus, and he is giving him thanks. He is in the most humble, worshipful posture possible. He is as low to the ground as he can get. He is at the most worshipful spot, the very feet of Jesus, and he is continually thanking him. I'm sure the tears are flowing. I'm sure his voice is quivering. I'm sure he is shaking and the volume is so that everyone can hear it and he is worshiping. He is caught up in an expression of thanks that he himself had never felt before. He just can't help but allow it to flow. And boy, does he look different than nine others who just had the exact same miracle happening to them. He can't stop thanking him. He's thanking him for not just being healed. He's thanking him for loving him. He's thanking him for accepting him. He's thanking him for not condemning him. He's thanking him for giving him hope. And he's not afraid of what anybody else says or does. I don't know how much time he spent with these other nine guys. I'm sure they must have developed some kind of bond. I'm sure they had worked together and kind of became their own family because they were all diseased and they just had to go together and they did everything together. They couldn't do anything with anyone else. And so for this man to depart from the nine and go and do his own thing is kind of a radical departure. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of what they think and he's not afraid of what anybody else is thinking because you see, this is not just Jesus, nine guys, and one guy. Oh, you see, wherever Jesus went, there were people following. The disciples were listening. They're gathered around, and there's people on the street. It's in a village. There's people all around, and this man is not intimidated by them. This man is not fearful of them. This man is so consumed with pouring out thankfulness that he doesn't care what anybody else says or does. He's not out to please the crowd. He's not fearful of what others are going to think of him or what's going to happen to him. He goes straight back to the one who changed him and he is spilling over with thanks. Now I realize if you've been a Christian for some time, you've heard the story and you're like, yeah, 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 I know what's going to happen next. Go on. But let's listen for fresh or with fresh ears today. Let's hear what God has to say to us. God's word is alive. Amen? It's as alive today as it was alive the day they, it was penned by the Holy Spirit through men. So when we read it today, it has the power to speak to us, every one of us. So let's consider it alive this morning and powerful and speaking and changing us. Amen? Amen? So this man goes back and he's giving him thanks. And, and then the Bible tells us something. 
The Bible gives us a hint as to why he is different than the nine. Of what would cause him to be filled with such thankfulness. It says this in the next part of the verse. He was a Samaritan. May not mean much to us today. But when it came to Samaritans and Jews, there was a lot of hatred. Jews and Samaritans really didn't hang out together, didn't run together. The Jews saw Samaritans as half-breed. They had come from Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles. So Jew, Jewish people saw them as defiling their heritage, prohibiting blessing, stopping the flow of God upon their lives. And so they didn't just choose to not like them. They really despised them. There was much hatred between them. The Jews looked down on them and referred to them as cursed, half-breeds, the rejected ones, those incapable of being blessed. Can you imagine thinking that about anyone because of their race, because of their nationality, incapable of knowing God, incapable of being blessed by God, rejected, cast off from God. This man was a Samaritan. He had grown up with those labels. He had grown up hearing it in his own village. He had grown up knowing it. And I don't know what part even having leprosy played into it of thinking, well, I guess this is just what happens to people that are cast off, that are rejected. I guess this is what happens because I was born into this nationality. I guess this is just what happens because of my own sin, and he must have just lived in this awareness that he was cast off, that he was rejected, that he couldn't know the favor of God. And here Jesus shows up. And he speaks cleansing to them. It's not the only account of Jesus speaking to a Samaritan. In fact, it was a Samaritan woman who was the first that Jesus would actually announce that he was the Messiah to. Jesus wasn't afraid of the Samaritans. Jesus loved the Samaritans. Jesus wanted them to see him as life. And so this man... We know as a Samaritan, we get a little bit of background now as to why he is with these other nine who were all Jews. And they didn't have any choice but to hang together because of their disease. But in this moment when Jesus speaks to all ten, nine head to the temple and one turns around filled with a deep sense of gratitude a deep level of thanks that can't help but spill over and it changes everything. He is so thankful inside, he can't help but make his way back to Jesus and 
fall down on his face at the feet of Jesus and begin to just worship him. We get a picture about why because of where he had been. Got two points today, and here's the first one. When we know what we deserve, we have greater, greater thankfulness for what we receive. See, you might look at this story and say, oh, that poor Samaritan. I just hate that he had such a poor self-image. Somebody along the way should have told him he was a good little boy. If he just would have had a, a better concept of himself. If he could have just known where he fit into the global sphere. If he could have just known something about how he fits into the evolutionary timetable. No. You might think he had a poor self-image. But I'm going to tell you what. He actually had a more real self-image than most Americans ever will in their lifetime. This man knew in and of himself he was a sinner. He knew he deserved judgment. He knew he was cast off. He knew that in and of himself there was no good thing. And I'm going to tell you what, that's a hard thing for an American to take in today. Hello. You see, we live in a, in a, in a time and a day of, of great privilege. We live in a time and a day of, of, of great concentration on our rights. We live in a time and a day where we expect so much and we want to remove anything that tells us we deserve something less. Are you with me? This is the awkward, painful part for us because we don't like hearing these kind of things. We don't like hearing that we actually deserve judgment. That because we were born in sin, that we actually should pay the price for that sin. We don't like hearing that stuff. But until you know that, and then you experience the grace that comes through Jesus Christ, you won't have a heart of thankfulness. You, you have to know what you actually deserve first before you'll ever have a heart that's thankful. And if you don't realize that your sin in your life, and in fact, just the fact you were born as a sinner makes you worthy of judgment, condemnation, and rejection. You'll never experience the reality of what Jesus has for you until you realize all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You won't experience the glory of God. It starts there. You've got to have a, a proper self-view, and I mean that in terms of you've got to recognize you were born in sin, and you have sinned. Yes, when you want what your neighbor has, the Bible says, sin. When you've had lustful thoughts, sin, whether you've had adultery or not. If you despise your brother, whether you've actually done anything to physically hurt him or not, sin. And any one of those makes you worthy of death, judgment. But if you don't have that as the backdrop for your life, if you don't understand that as where you've come from, then you'll never walk in a place of thankfulness in what you have received in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Understand where we're headed here? It's what causes someone to be thankful. It's what this man experienced. It's why he would depart from nine and turn around and go back and have to worship the one who just healed him because he knew he really did deserve what he had. He knew he was going to be forever cut off. And he knew there was only one way that he could ever have life, and that is to experience the mercy of Jesus Christ. Second point. 
When we have expectation and demand, we risk disappointment, resentment, bitterness, and getting stuck. You see, it kind of comes with a package of being human, but it also comes with a package of living in the time and day and place in which we live. It's easy to have expectations about what ought to be happening to us, of having demands about how life ought to go, of how we ought to be treated, of how people ought to speak to us, of what ought to be given to us, about what we ought to receive, about what people should not do to us because of who we are. And we've lost a concept of laying down our lives and being servants. Instead, we've picked up the mantle of being the master and we expect to be served. It's what comes with the package. And I'll just tell you, the more expectation, demand that you have in your own head... As you go through your day, the more you will risk great disappointment, resentment of those who disappoint you, bitterness toward those who hurt you, and you'll find yourself stuck in places with no idea of how to move forward. When that pain happens, when that disappointment comes, when you experience the rejection there's so many things that come rushing in in that moment so many thoughts part of them come from just our flesh what we were born with feelings of revenge feelings of this is not fair feelings of I'm going to make you pay feelings of I'm going to embarrass you all those things those are natural that come with the flesh and the more you feed I deserve and I expect the more you will face bitterness. And that's when people get stuck. They're moving through life. They're following Christ. They're making some steps. And all of a sudden, a, something happens. You didn't get the job you thought. The tragedy happened. The disappointment occurred and you find yourself kind of out of sorts all of a sudden. There's not even a desire to want to even find the door, much less walk through it. It's easy just to sit in the room and be more bitter and to sulk and to blame to defend, and to deny. Anybody in here relate? We get in that room, and we get stuck. And God wants us to move forward. He's got more for us. In fact, he's not trying to rush us through the room. He's trying to meet us in the room. He's trying to teach us in the room. So many lessons, so many depths. He himself was rejected. He was despised. He was treated unfairly. And he wants us to walk in the fellowship of those sufferings 
And he calls us to, to join up with him, to learn from him, to move forward with him, and to, to get out of this room having learned the lessons and to move on. The passage continues and it says, So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? This man has come back and he's bowing and he's worshiping and people are watching and crowds gathering. And Jesus says, were there not ten that I just cleansed? Where are the nine? It's kind of funny that Jesus asked that because he already knows the answer before he asks the question. It's Jesus. Hello. He knows. So he's really saying all this for the benefit of the one and everyone else that's gathered. Hey, weren't there nine other guys? Weren't there ten that were cleansed? Didn't I just do something for a whole group? And there's nothing from the man on the ground who's worshiping. In fact, it goes on, and Jesus says, Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus recognizes this guy's different from them. He's the outcast. He's the outsider. He's the one that's outside of this region. He's the Samaritan. He's the one. Where did they go? Where are they? And Jesus already knows the answer. But again, you don't hear anything from the man who's worshiping. You don't hear anything from the man who is thankful. You see, that's what happens when you're thankful, truly thankful, you don't get caught up in pointing fingers and blaming and judging and inspecting everybody else's spiritual life and, oh, I bet they're this and I bet they're that. Oh, well, that's why they do that. Now, all that stuff, that's not important. This man that's on, that's on his feet, I mean, on his face at the feet of Jesus, he's not looking around like, well, those guys sure are losers. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's not what's happening here. When you're caught up in truly being thankful, it, that stuff kind of just pales in comparison. You're not about that anymore. You're not about criticizing and complaining. It, it, you're about thankfulness. And then Jesus speaks to the man, and he says to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, Jesus is not just reiterating what's happened to this man. He's not just explaining to him what has occurred. This tells us that something different happens to this man than what happens to the other nine. The other nine, the Bible says, were cleansed. They were, in a sense, released from the disease that held them. But this man experiences something different. This man, the New King James says, well. But if you go into the original language in the New Testament, it's the word that means whole. He is restored. He has something different happen to him than happened to the other nine. They experienced an initial cleansing, but this man's getting some restoration. This man is being made different. This man is being made whole. Something is happening to him that's different, and it happens, and it's happening because he chose to come back and be thankful. 
he comes back and something happens in his soul. They were cleansed, but he's made whole. They start feeling, feeling in their extremities again. This man's feeling feelings in his spirit that he's never felt before. This man's advancing to a new level of maturity that he's never experienced before. This man's experiencing a closeness and intimacy with Jesus that he's never had before. And those guys are just headed back to the temple. You see, today, there are many people who have come to Christ and they've made the initial step, and they've been forgiven and cleansed. But they go on about their life as though they maybe even deserved it. As though it was a great thing, but now I've got more stuff to do. And their heart isn't penetrated to the point of great thankfulness. They're just like, well, yeah, I did my religious thing. I'm, I'm going to go do some more religious things now. I'm going to go on to the temple. I feel pretty respectful about myself. I'm pretty, pretty proud of myself for what I've done. But that's not the case with this man. This man's on his face. He's come back with thankfulness, and he has an experience that sets him far apart. He is, he's made whole. Where there was fear and rejection and hopelessness and despair... He has come back and is thanking Jesus. And it's renewing him. Hope is welling up in him. Peace is welling up in him. New life is welling up in him. Because he's choosing to be thankful. In our lives today, as I mentioned earlier, it's possible to get to the place where you have gotten stuck. You've entered into a room and you just, you've been there a lot longer than you know you need to have been. The pain has happened, but you haven't progressed. The hopelessness set in and the healing hasn't begun. You're not walking out yet. And Jesus is calling. He's calling to you. He meets you there in the room. He meets you there to embrace, to encourage, to teach, and to walk with you. He says, will you trust me? Will you let me heal you? Will you let me hold you? You don't have to point the finger anymore. I am your Savior. It's how you get unstuck. You say, well, I just have a hard time thinking about that. I start thinking about what, I, what should have happened. This is not fair, and I should have had this happen to me. It's not, it's not right that this person did this to me. It's just unfair. And you have a hard time moving back into the place of knowing what you really deserved because you're all stuck with what you should have gotten. To help make the transition, what you have to do when you're stuck is turn and look at the cross. Because there, Jesus took 
what we deserved. You see, we get in our situation, we start thinking, well, I deserve to be treated this way. I deserve to be talked to this way. I deserve for this to be happening to me. I deserve for this. I deserve for that. And pretty soon you've got a distorted concept of who you are. And thankfulness is so far from you, you wouldn't know it if it walked up to you. But if you'll turn and see the cross and see Jesus rejected, see Jesus isolated, see Jesus suffering, See Jesus being punished. See Jesus bearing the weight of your sin. See Jesus taking it all in and the pain that comes with it, the separation from the Father. See Jesus taking all of that, and you'll see what you actually deserved. You'll see what you should have had. You'll see what we really deserve because of our sin. We like to paint it as though it's not all that bad, but when you look at the cross, you see the reality of how bad it was and is. And until you see your sin there, you'll not ever get a good picture of your own life and not ever have a true concept of who you are. You'll keep thinking you deserve good when all of a sudden when you see the cross you realize, I don't. He took my place. He bore everything that I actually deserved. It gives you a better perspective. It'll help you walk forward in the door and through the door when you stop thinking of how much good you deserve. Because then you begin to see that any good that comes into your life is only by grace. It comes only as a gift. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't measure up to it. You could never attain to it. It truly sets you on a path to be thankful. And if there's any quality that's needed in our nation today, it is a heart of thanks. Because it's the last thing on most people's agenda. Instead, a people today cry out for their rights and for their offenses and for what they demand. But let us be a people who know what our real identity is. We were sinners. We were deserving of death. But God, in his mercy, took our sin upon himself in Jesus Christ so that all who would come to him would experience cleansing, healing, forgiveness as a gift. This is what enables you to walk through your door. Set aside every thought that keeps telling you how bad they were and how good you were. Reverse it. See Jesus. And you'll find your way out of the door. Would you bow your heads with me?
Will you see yourself accurately today? Will you truly see who you were as sinner? Will you see yourself as the one deserving of judgment, death? Will you see Jesus in his mercy calling out to you, giving you forgiveness and hope? Will you thank him today for what he has done for you? Will you thank him for his love, for his death, and for his resurrection? Will you see his hand as sovereign over your life and bigger than you, bigger than your problems? And will you see yourself today running, running back to his feet to say thank you, thanking him for forgiveness, thanking him for loving you, thanking him for accepting you. This is where